I can. That doesn't work. I think that's the Bri just uh, put fresh batteries in. I'd like to welcome everyone to Vines First Baptist Church. It's good to, good to see everybody tonight. Uh, we're going to continue our study in Colossians. If you have uh, your copy of God's Word with you, you can go to Colossians 1. Uh, we'll be reading 28 and 29. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And um, while you're turning there... I found this as I was studying about this verse. It's, uh, it says this, A new student once asked the college president if he didn't have a shorter course to offer. The man of learning replied, That depending upon what you want to make of yourself, when God makes an oak, he takes a century. When he makes a squash, three months will do. And, uh, and so, you know, I was thinking about... Um, how, how oftentimes when, when we are, um, you know, thinking about our Christian walk, um, you know, it, it seems like there's not much progress. Uh, but, but hopefully after, you know, we talk tonight that we'll see, uh, we'll hopefully see differently. But, but here, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, I'm going to go ahead and read that, uh, and then we're going to pray. It says this, Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for these words, Father, that uh, God, that you inspired, Father, that, that are breathed out by the Holy Spirit himself. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we, um, as we delve into your word, Father, that you would you know, have your way with us, that your Holy Spirit would uh, reign in this place tonight, that, that these words, um, if they're spoken just by man, that, that, that they, can, they can mean nothing, Father. But, but God, if you take them, Father, if I'm just an instrument, Father, and, and your word goes forth, uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Um, God, open every heart, every mind, every ear to your word, your truth. And God, that you will give um, the men and women who hear it the ability to submit to it. God, we know that your word is truth. I pray, Lord, that you will sanctify us with your truth. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it, it starts out, uh, Paul writes, Him we proclaim. And that hymn is... Um, is probably what you already know is, is talking about Christ Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a simple statement to, to make that statement, but it is very far-reaching. You know, when you, when you ask the question, what is the gospel? Or you could ask the question, what is the good news? Or maybe, what is the salvation of man? If you ask the question, what is the hope of glory? 
It is Jesus Christ. That is the answer to all those questions. Um, as, as J. Vernon McGee put it, the gospel is not what we preach, but it is whom we preach. No man has ever preached the gospel who hasn't preached Christ. If he has, he's not preaching the true gospel. He is preaching a false gospel. Uh, McGee goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is eternal life. In 1 John 1.1, this is what it, what it says there, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That is such a powerful statement by John. And you think about what he is saying. He has what he's saying in his life. What he's saying has been manifested to us that we, that he could, that John could see and touch, feel is Jesus Christ. What he's saying is eternal life is Jesus Christ. It is that person. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the hope. So what do we do as believers? We should proclaim him. The Holy Scriptures are all about Him. From the, the, from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, it goes on and on about the Christ, the Messiah. Paul, um, in Acts 17.3, says it like this, when he is explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, he said this, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is... The Christ. He's the one. He is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting on for centuries. And, and then uh, we see that he says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified uh, to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. Well, that's what he says. Paul says to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the Gospel. Some might try to treat Christ as a mere teacher um, that would, you know, that we ought to adhere to his, you know, set of teachings to proclaim. And, you know, that may be what they say is the gospel. That may be what they say that this is the way that you need to live or the way that you need to reach uh, eternal life um, is that, that they may believe that that is the proclamation of the gospel is just to teach what he taught. Um, and and with some some religions, you can you can do that with their leaders. You know that 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 you could kind of separate the leaders of those religions from their message per se. That that you may not necessarily have to follow that leader. You just follow their teachings, and you can reach you know that the end game. You can so to speak in their religion. You know you can separate Buddha and Confucius from their teachings. But that cannot be said of Christ. You cannot separate Christ from His teachings. Uh, because what He's saying, He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man can come to the Father except through Him. Buddhists believe that they can follow a uh, what's called the Four Noble Truths. 
um, you know, and, and a life of moderation will actually lead to enlightenment and then a state of nirvana. And so they can follow the, this, this path. Muhammad established what's called the five pillars or, or tenets of the faith of Islam. And that this prophet of Allah even said this about his own assurance. So this is the prophet Muhammad who, who has the message, you know, uh, that, that he writes the Quran. And this is what he says about his own assurance. Though I am the apostle of Allah, yet do I, yet, yet do I not know what Allah will do with me. In Hindu, they believe that they can meditate and be devoted to one of the hundreds of Hindu gods. So as long as they pick one and, and, and that they would be devoted to one of the, one of those Hindu gods that they can meditate to reach a state of realizing that self isn't real and what they call Brahma is real, is the true realization. And that you would be reincarnated until this realization happens. You know, one says this is what you must do. You know, so we see these religions that say this is what you must do. And then the other one says this is what Christ did. This is, this is the gospel, what Christ did for you. And you believe on that. For even Judaism, the commandments of God are a list of rules that we must keep in order to reach salvation. And yet all of us fall short of the law except that the blood of Jesus be applied. For Christ, He is the proclamation of the Gospel. He is. And, and so, so for, for those, those who are in Judaism that await a Messiah, the Messiah has already come. After beaten and ordered not to preach the gospel again, Peter's and the disciples, as it put it in Acts 5, 41 and 42, so, so they were told not to preach the gospel again, and this is, what, this is what it says there. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. He is the message. Paul and Peter weren't the only ones as Luke writes in Acts 8 in verse 5. It says, Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And when the eunuch questioned Philip about the Scripture, so he's questioning about the Scripture that he hears uh, and that he's reading, in, in uh, verse 32 of Acts 8, it says this. Now the passage of Scripture that was re- he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So he, here this, uh, this eunuch was... You know, you're reading about Isaiah and questioning what is this talking about? What are these holy scriptures sent by God? What is this talking about? And, and so the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see, the prophets pointed to Jesus Christ Christ. 
And the, and the disciples knew it. They knew that from the very beginning that this is what all the Scriptures spoke of. They all point to the Christ. The questions, the question of not just do you know Christ, but here, here the real question is this, does He know you? Does Jesus Christ know you? You know, I thought about it this way. I, I saw a little analogy and I, I wanted to make it more my own. And uh, so I was thinking about, you know, what if I went into a restaurant one day and, um, and I saw Drew Brees, you know, sitting there with his family. Of course, I recognize Drew Brees and, and I could tell you all these things about Drew Brees. And uh, a lot of his stats, if y'all know me well, you know, I could rattle them off. And you, and you might even think that how much I told you about Drew Brees that, that you might think that I know him personally. Well, I don't. And, and if, uh, if I was to go up to Drew Brees uh, or, or tell my waiter, hey, uh, I want to sit with Drew Brees and his family. You know, I know him. I start rattling off all this stuff about how well I know about Drew Brees. I mean, I know where he went to college. I know where he, where he went to high school. I know, I know all these stats about Drew Brees. And, and, and that waiter, I seriously doubt, would pull a chair up next to Drew Brees for me to sit by him. But... If Drew Brees, on the other hand, said, I know Kyle McGee, then, then I would be able to pull up a chair. And so I can know all this stuff about Drew Brees, but, but it doesn't mean that Drew Brees knows me. And so when, when you think about it in that context, you know, we can know about Jesus Christ, but does Jesus know us? You know, it says that, that on that last day when, when we reach judgment, that we're going to hear one of two things when we, when we are face to face with Jesus. That we are either going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Or we're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, did you hear that? Depart from me, I never knew you. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't know who you are. But he doesn't know you intimately. And so that, that is the question that we have to ask ourselves is, does Jesus know us? False teachers um, exalt themselves with these, you know, we, we've been in Colossians, and I've told y'all that all throughout Colossians that, that there is, you can tell that Paul is warning against these false teachers that are exalting themselves of, of knowing this mystery that they've got to explain to everyone else that, that, that you can't attain on your own. And, and here, you know, false teachers, they exalt themselves. They, they, and their great, uh, their great spiritual attainments, what they can, what they can give you that you can't get by yourself. They, they would preach a philosophy, but Paul simply preached a person. You know, in Colossians 2, 8, and we're gonna get to this later, but I'm gonna reference it now. In Colossians 2, 8, it says it like this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. I feel like there's a lot of that going on, um, you know, especially with the American church today. You know, just in our culture, that we get caught up in philosophies of man rather than the truth of the gospel. That, it, that it's easy to get caught up in that type of thing. But it says, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so what we have to keep focus on is what does God's Word say? What does Jesus Christ say? 
And, and, and so it goes directly into this scripture that we're talking about where it says him we proclaim. It goes directly into what he does with it. It says admonish, warn. I mean, that's how, that's how that is part of preaching the gospel is that we see it as a warning to those who do not believe it. That, that, that word admonish. You know, this is that next portion of the selected text tonight that we would warn, that we would caution, that we would gently reprove, that we would exhort. It could be better translated maybe as counsel, as wise counsel, or impart understanding, or even to lay on the mind or heart of someone. But it obviously, when it uses that word admonish or warning, it's, it's obviously not just talking about teaching because it uses that word next. So, so it's this, it's, it's a little bit harsher word. It's to correct a wrong teaching. You know, if, if you know, I see teaching more as, you know, almost like, okay, there's this blank slate there and I've got to, I've got to teach someone, but admonish and to warn is that they're on these issues. They may be going the opposite direction and we've got to steer them back on path. To admonish or to warn is a little bit stronger than, than that word just to teach. And so, so here, uh, it is the job of the church leaders. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here the church leaders, and he's saying, hey, respect those who are over you and admonish you. You know, they're doing it for your own good. A, a submission to church authority. You know, and, and it's, it's such a great responsibility for church authority because, because we, we are called to a higher standard um, of, of really judgment uh, as a church leader, as a teacher. And so, so it is, it is um, of great care that we should handle God's Word. But at the same time as those who are coming in and, and you, can, you can clearly see that there is this discipleship, you know, I don't want to say program, but there's this discipleship um, laid out of how this thing is supposed to look in the church. And so that we're supposed to be leaning on brothers and sisters in the faith that have been in it longer than us and are wiser in the faith than us. And that in that, that we're, that we're supposed to be listening to them so often. I feel like, I feel like, um, that, that too many of us are so prideful that we're above, above being corrected and rebuked, above reproach, you know, and, or that we consider ourselves that way. And, and that, that generally would mean that, that we're probably the, the ones that most need to hear it. But it is the job, it says, of the church leaders to admonish those who are with them. And it is very loving for them to do that as they do it gently. It is also the job of the church body in general. Um, this one body, Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You see how it's you know, teaching and admonishing, admonishing and teaching, it's, it's separate. And it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is part of gathering of the believers. That's a tough part in it. It was also part of Paul's ministry. In Acts 20.31 it says it like this, Therefore, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Man, that sounded like a hard ministry. For three years, Paul was admonishing those around him with tears. I think that's key. So why did he? The verse before it kind of explains it. This was the last things that he said to the Ephesian elders. Right here in Acts 20. So he's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he's reminding them that this is the reason why he admonished them with tears. Listen closely to this. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Did y'all catch that? He's saying, like he's in this battle for truth. He is having to admonish fellow brothers and sisters in the faith with tears. That shows the humbleness in him. That shows how hard that was for him to do that. But the purpose was, is that there were men among them that were speaking perverse things, trying to draw away the disciples. Listen, church, there will be men and women who try to do the same thing today. It's why we need to know doctrine. It's why we need to know truth. Now, many might use this verse. Um, they might say, well, man, this sounds very judgmental. You know, to admonish someone sounds very judgmental. And they'll go directly to what verse? Matthew 7, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. Many misuse this statement. Uh, like they misuse many of the statements of Jesus without reading closely into the context and the purpose of His message. You know, for Jesus goes on to say in that same Scripture, He goes on to say this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's a great point. Because many times as believers, we can get caught up in there. There's great hypocrisy, isn't it? If, if I'm, if I'm going to go to my brother or sister, and, and I see a problem that they're having, and, and I go to them and I point out that problem, but then I've got this own mess in my own life that I'm not willing to deal with either, or I'm not willing to receive admonishment on, then there's a huge problem. But listen what he goes on to say next. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? Listen to what he says. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is not... That ver those verses are not a contradiction to these other verses to admonish. They're just telling you how to do it. Jesus is just telling you how to do it. He said, you can't go to your brother and sister when you clearly have issues too and, and, and act like that you are self-righteous and that you are, that you are some superior authority on the matter. Humble yourself. Understand when somebody comes to you, be willing to Take that criticism. Be willing to repent. Look, in your, look at yourself in the mirror and see the problems that you have. 
but lovingly go to your brother and sister knowing that they need to repent also. Knowing that they need to repent also. We are called to not be hypocrites. Um, understanding that we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. For if this verse meant what some people think that it means, then Jesus did a whole lot of judging Himself, didn't He? You know, he traveled the land. He called people sinners. He called them to repent, didn't he? Why? Because he loved them. What is more loving to, to call to repentance those who are on a path to hell or to, like, to plea with those to follow, to follow after Christ, to repent and follow after Christ? What is more loving to, to, to do that, to call them to repent or to let them go on. To let them walk their own path knowing that you have the truth of the gospel. Which one is more loving? Which one is more hateful? And so, so here, you know, I mean, think about it. He, he traveled the land calling lost sinners to repent. And, and think about the countless rebukes that Jesus had. If, if this verse means what some think it means, then what do we have, what do we do with those verses that we read? And, and many more verses that, that just because of time I, I don't offer you. That we read about admonishing our brothers to rightly study and divide the Word of God is vital in being able to discern these verses correctly. If we take, if we take a few cherry picked verses out of the Bible and we choose, we can, we can quickly um, we can quickly run upon heresy. We can quickly run off course. We can quickly become a cult. Failing to admonish and teach correctly can bring judgment. In Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Aaron's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, uh, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offer, offered uh, unauthorized fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Eli's two sons, 1 Samuel 3.13, says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. You can see how quickly that, that it can run off course here. You know, here you see these two, you know, priests in training. And that they weren't restrained, you know, by, by their father. And then what happens? And, and so, so here it's so important to correct. It's so, because we can run off course very easily if we don't stay, uh, in the Word of God. In wise counsel, being discipled. That verse that we started with tonight goes on to say, after warning and admonishing to teach every man with, with all wisdom. The first use of that word that they use there uh, for teach um, in the Greek is called didasko. Describes it really the first time it was used, it is talking about it was used in Matthew 4 23. Where it describes Jesus going through all Galilee 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So here is that same reference there is, is Jesus going and teaching in the synagogues. Okay? And in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, it's used again when it says he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. And then he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Teaching is the responsibility of who? The preachers? Every believer. Every believer. In Colossians 3.16, we read this earlier. It's also part, you know, we saw that in, in Colossians 3.16. Let me go back and, and, um, and read that for y'all. It says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's for every believer. He says this in, in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Notice, Jesus did not say go and make converts. What did He say? Go and make disciples. And so that's, that's the call for all of us that we're, we're to go and make disciples. Well, how can, you, how can you make disciples without teaching them? You can't, can you? Think about this, especially the responsibility for church leaders where Paul instructs that an overseer must be able to teach. 1 Timothy 3.2 Listen to this one. 2 Timothy 2.24 and 25 And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. I mean, think about that. I mean, I, I fall short on that. I, I have to strive to be better in that, but... But to, that the Lord's servant may not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, kind to everyone that we come in contact with, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Did y'all notice that? Correcting his opponents with gentleness, though. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. For heresy flourishes when sound doctrine flounders. And that, and that quote came from a website called Precept Austin. I couldn't get a, a source on that. But here, it says that we're to do that. We're supposed to admonish and teach with all wisdom to present, listen to this, to present every man complete or also you could say mature in Christ. Like that should be presentation to Christ. It's what He deserves. Brian preached on that before. Uh, you know, that was one of the most memorable sermons that I've heard in probably the past year or two. I don't know if it was this past year or the year before, but, but he's talking about offering as a, that we're, we're giving God. That's what He deserves. We present Him these, these offerings. But present every man complete, mature in Christ. So Paul says, really in essence, his purpose is spiritual maturity. The sphere of maturity is in Christ. Now, now look, I want y'all to please stay with me here on this. Because this was, you know, I usually try not to, to quote like big quotes. But I tried to chop this one down and I couldn't. Uh, this was from Sinclair Ferguson. And, and I want y'all to listen closely to what he says about this matter of maturity. In a word, maturity equals Christ-likeness. No other standard may be allowed to substitute. All other standards will be lesser. There will be man-made alternatives. 
that disguise the all-demanding standard God sets before us in Scripture. What would be particularly attractive about them, of course, is that we could measure ourselves and others against them with some degree of satisfaction in our own performance, can't we? We might even in this case be obviously more mature than others, but God's standard is none of these things. Think about that. When we try to put ourselves up as towards somebody else, compare ourselves to somebody else, but God's standard isn't there. It's so much higher. The only thing that counts according to Paul is being like Jesus. Are you growing more and more like him? Then you are maturing as a Christian. But then and only then. Why the learning is so important according to Ferguson. Listen to what he says here. Nothing has impressed me more in recent years than this. If I were only more intimately and sensitively familiar with God's word. If I had read and studied it more, weighed its meaning and applied its truth to my own life more. How much more useful my service in the kingdom of God would have been. In witnessing my words would have been more faithful. Did y'all catch that? In witnessing my words way more faithful. Why? Because I studied his word. In counseling, I would have been better, been able to better reach into people's deepest and most hidden needs with the help of the Spirit. Why? Because I, because I studied His Word better. In personal holiness, I would have been, been more, com, more conformed to the image of my Savior. In holiness. Why do I become more holy? Because I, I know His Word better. It was hid in my heart. I would have seen more of the answer to his prayer for me when he prayed this prayer in John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But how does he sanctify us? How are we made more holy? How do we look more like Christ? Jesus said by his word. By his word. We can make mistake. Excuse me. We can mistake Christian activity. With becoming like Christ. We can just mistake it like, oh well, that person goes to church or they read their Bible. And we can mistake those things as being like Christ. And those 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 things are are essential to the faith that without knowing him, that they they are not the faith to know Christ. And so Christian activity does not equal relationship. If you are only encouraging those around you to attend Christian activities, you have not discipled the way that Paul discipled. S. Lewis Johnson adds this, the goal of the Christian ministry is not simply salvation, although that is extremely important, but ultimately the presentation of the believer before the Father is one mature and blameless in Christ. And Spurgeon says it this way. Do you not feel in your own soul that perfection is not in you? You know, does, does not every day teach you that? 
Every tear which trickles from your eye weeps in perfection. Every harsh word which proceeds from your lip mutters in perfection. You have too frequently had a view of your own heart to dream for a moment of any perfection in yourself. But amidst this sad consciousness of imperfection, here is comfort for you. You are perfect in Jesus Christ. In God's sight, you are complete in Him. Even now you are accepted in the Beloved. But there is a second perfection. There is. Yet to be realized, which is sure to all the seed, is, not, it, is it not delightful to look forward to the time when every stain of sin shall be removed from the believer and he shall be presented faultless before the throne without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. That is how we will be presented, but only if we are presented through that person, Jesus Christ. For the gospel is a person. When we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim him. And to stray from that teaching, what Paul warns us is, is that we need to admonish, we need to correct, we need to teach. So that, so that others will know uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord, so that they may have salvation as well. Now, the last verse, I, I read 28 and 29, and we really studied 28, but I'm going, I'm going to read 29 to y'all again, uh, in both the ESV and the NASB. This is, this is how he ends that. Like, how, how do you do, and this is what we're going to talk about next time that I'm up here. But how do you, um, how do you get there? How, how do you admonish? How do you warn? How do you, how do you do all of this, um, you know, teach with all wisdom this, this gospel? Because I, I don't know about you, but, but it's, I know that I grow weary many times. But it says this, for I told, I struggled, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The NSV puts it like this, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The next time we come together, we're going to talk about the power in which we're able to struggle through it because it is a struggle. And if we're, if we're laboring on our own that we can wear out, that we will fail, but that the power that works mightily within us, the Holy Spirit, is what will sustain us to the end. Uh, and I pray that for our church. Uh, and let's, let's close in prayer. God, my Father, I thank You, Lord, for this night. I thank You, Lord, for, for these that are so faithful. And I'm so thankful for our church family. And God, I pray, Lord, that You would continue, Father, to... Uh, remind us of your truth. God, hide your word, your truth in our heart, Father, that we would not sin against you, Father. God, that you would um, help us, Lord, to, to uh, toil, to labor, Father, as, um, as we proclaim you. Father, we should proclaim you in every way, Father, not, not just by word, definitely by word, but not just by word, by, by deed, you know, by action, by, by the way that we live our lives, Father. God, that, that we would proclaim you with our love, that we would proclaim you uh, in all that we do. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the right words to say in those moments, Father, to help admonish, to help teach, Father. 
uh, God, that, that we would lead people um, to you. And Father, that we would uh, help disciple those around us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.